Welcome on and on to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is April Ray, who's a fantastic Atlanta-based content creator who helps run Slady's Night as well as a multitude of other RPG content, some in the cyberpunk world and others. She's a great member of the community who uh, some of you may have known. I actually had one of the other Slady's uh, Night Runners as well, and we get into a great conversation about her coming up in RPGs, all the projects she has going on now, thanks to COVID and kind of the future of what she wants to do in regards to live streaming and running events, which promote inclusivity, uh, in particularly getting women and uh, LGBT and non-identifying non-binary figures in to the RPG sphere. I think this is a great episode and I hope you enjoy. to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is April Ray. April, will you please introduce yourself? Hi, I'm April. Um, you can find me online, April Raygun. Uh, yeah, that's me. I do RPG stuff on different things. And that's perfect because this is my RPG podcast. And April, we'll talk about all the various, various things you're doing currently in just one moment. However, let's go back to the very, very, very beginning. How did you get into RPGs? So... I I hated TTRPGs, like, with a passion. I had some really bad experiences in, like, early middle school with D&D and vowed to never play them again. Until uh, much later in life. And I had a friend who was like, hey, we're playing this cool game called Vampire the Masquerade. Do you want to play? And of course, I was a weird little goth kid, and I'm like, I want to be sad and pretend to be a vampire all day. And then I was hooked. <laughs> so not to dredge up, like, terrible horror stories, but was it just the setting that you didn't like, or did you have, like, a really just bad first session? I had really toxic people in the environment, and it was just a lot of boys who didn't want girls to play, and when they did play and turn turn their characters into horrible situations. Uh, and yeah, totally fair enough. And good good thing that you got out of there. Uh, so you fell in love with Vampire, though. That's perfect. And I mean, what time and age range were you around when you started playing, by the way? Do, do you mind telling? Oh, I was 29, 28. I was like an adult. That's kind of awesome, actually. Not not so long ago, I had somebody who didn't really get into it until they were in their 30s, 40s, which is really, really great. I think you have a completely different perspective when you get into RPGs. I think when you get to be an adult or, you know, at least a little bit older, uh, I will say your appreciation of, of getting a session together really does change. Because I know so many people are like, oh, yeah, I played all the time in middle school, high school. We spent a whole weekend playing together. I'm like, how do you manage that with the time? I'm an adult, and it's so hard to wrangle these cats that are other human beings to sit down for three hours, you know? Yeah, I, I literally have a game where last game we scheduled out our gameplay for the next three months. And it's like only three sessions. But we're like, okay, what day in February do you have free? Perfect. Yeah, we're playing that day no matter what. It's it's very much that meme, right, to where everybody's mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm in, yeah, I'm in, and the last person's like, yeah, Tuesday doesn't work for me. Ah, crap, here we are re-figuring this all out every time. So you fell in love with Vampire. You got into TDRPGs after a, a, a bad first start in there. What is it that drew you finally in? So I love gaming. I loved video games. I've played way too many hours of video games. I loved fantasy and sci-fi and all those elements. And... I like the idea of being able to create my own story in my own world. I had that time as a, a young 19-year-old where I thought I was going to be a writer, of course. So it felt fed into that part of me that was like, I could create worlds. You know what's funny is so many of the guests I have on have a creative background, be it acting, be it music, be it you know, wanting to write and, and do things like that. Oh, and speaking of actually of music... Just a weird coincidence I seem to notice. There's like a rock heavy metal sort of bent to a lot of RPG creators for some reason. I don't know. Maybe it's the swords and shields and dragons and over the top stuff. I think it was is. There, was, was there a little bit of that for you as well, April? 
Oh, I I was a heavy metal kid. Yeah, I love rock and grunge and all that stuff. Punk. I was a punk rock kid. Yeah. So I, I just think it's very funny how like I guess maybe because the music style kind of akin to the fact that up until only recently with RPG Renaissance has RPGs really started to become more mainstream in the forefront. But before all that, playing RPGs was like, oh, you're different, you're other, and these music genres tend to be like, oh, we're the different, we're the other type well, of thing. They also had albums in like the 60s and 70s and 80s about wizards like they would have whole records about wizards fighting space monsters and i mean granted most of it was like psychedelic but of course we're gonna start liking the wizard music oh yeah i mean i I think every time you look at like a heavy metal album cover and then you look at any sort of like ttrpg covers you're like yeah it's the same dude who did these both things right the same sort of goblins and the armor and the muscles and the loincloths and everything like that it's all very conan the barbarian sometimes you know well and then like heavy metal the the yeah the the magazine yeah it's pretty much you could play there is a dd campaign based on heavy metal however now kind of very timely also because we're talking about video games However, punk and electronic and all that is also kind of toe-in-toe now with your kind of net hack, cyberpunk sort of aesthetic there too. So there's this kind of beautiful marriage as, I, as I've had this podcast now for several years where I noticed music in RPGs or music in, in certain types of uh, nerd culture. It's very interesting. Well, it's music hits a different part of you mentally and emotionally that you can't do just with voice or with in a game. I, I have played games where we've had no music. And then in the same group of people, same setting, we go to someone else's house. Granted, this was before COVID. And, like, they have a music set up and the music starts playing in the game. It's totally different. Yeah. And, and I found myself doing this, and, and no disrespect to one of my players who's also a GM himself, Brad. I find myself uh, one of the few times I got to be a player doing a one-shot with my with my friend Brad. And while he was doing it, I found myself sort of like kind of humming when we were battling and doing music because I'm a music guy. I'm always constantly pre-COVID. I'd had the Bluetooth out and I have the sound so they can hear. Yeah. And now post-COVID, obviously, I'm running a separate track through, you know, Roll20s, our, 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 uh, our uh, interface of choice. So I'm always running music in the background and I have character teams and all that stuff. So I found myself so used to that that when I was a player for one of the, you know, Blue Moon times that I was like, there should be battle music. There should be something right now keeping the tempo up. Oh, yeah. And I saw Brian give me a pointed look and I'm like, sorry, man, I can't, I can't, I can't stop myself. It just has to be there. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, so you're getting into Vampire, you're enjoying it. So you're starting, I'm assuming as a player, right? Because you're, yeah. you're not a GM first. Oh, no. What? I've what? never DM Vampire and I don't think I ever want to. I... I give credit to everyone who who can DM a White Wolf game or a world, uh, not White Wolf, World of Darkness game, but I I can't I can't keep that much track. Well, what is it that kind of now turns you to feeling confident enough to start writing and running your own games? I shouldn't assume you write your own stuff. I mean, you could have ran adventures first, of course. So I didn't start running things until D anD D. Once I started playing D anD D more, I started getting way more confident with the rules, and there I feel way more. Um, beginner friendly. I think it's much easier to grab a character sheet and a set of dice and start a D&D game than like a, a World of Darkness game. And so it became much easier to change pre-written D&D uh, adventures into my own thing. And that's how I started writing my own games. And what type of games do you like to run? Do you like things that are a little more high fantasy, a little more low fantasy, like dark and gritty, or do you like sort of comical and over the top? So games I run are usually um, either over-the-top weird and fantasy cute or just kind of gothic horror. I do a well, lot I mean, of haunted houses. The vampire houses. background makes sense yeah. of that, right? Yeah. A lot of haunted houses, a lot of cults. <laughs> Those are always kind of good avenues to, to peek into. And also, speaking of the makeup of your game, because I know your first game you had a, a rough thing of it with kind of uh, the other players or the... Game Master being kind of a douchebag and stuff like that. Growing up and going into this, because you work with Sladies, and that's going to be one of our main topics here, what was the kind of uh, mix of the type of players you were getting here? Was it kind of homogenous, or was there any diversity or any of that? Um, so when I first started playing back 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 in the day, it was I was the only girl who tried to play. I was one of the only kind of girl nerds in our group, so that didn't go well. Um, my vampire game, I got really lucky. It was a good mix of uh, women and men. 
And then now I am very, very lucky to have a very diverse group of friends and people to play with at all times. Yeah, that's awesome. And also at the hest of kind of one of your points, you said everything pre-COVID and we're all kind of dealing with uh, playing RPGs in the uh, post-COVID or during COVID, I guess, because it's not really gone, uh, world. But I will say for people trying to find groups that can... that tailor to a more diverse, uh, you know, backgrounds of whether sex, race, whatever it is you're looking for. I think that all this online gaming renaissance has been kind of a blessing in disguise because whereas like, whereas you don't have to just be locked by regionality and locality to be like, well, I only know two other girls in all of my city that can play and they have, you know, con, you know, conflicting schedules. Now you can be like, well, I'm I'm pretty sure, pretty sure there's two girls in the entire world who can make this date or time work out. Right. Yeah. Uh, we've gotten really lucky. Originally, um, Sladies was just going to be a local thing, an in-person local thing, of course, pre-COVID. And because of everything, and we had to change our whole direction. We've been able to work with people and women from all over that we would not have had this chance with before. Yeah, let's go into more detail about that. Because while I did have uh, another fellow Sladies uh, community member on a previous episode, for those who don't know, what is Sladies and kind of its role in the Atlanta geek scene? Oh, I should have this memorized by now, but of course I don't. Hold on one second. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google the official thing I'm supposed to say. Sure, no problem. And and like like I like I'll say, guys, if you want to go back and listen to uh, some of our previous episodes, we actually do talk about ladies in a pre-COVID world, which will now give you some perspective about kind of the changes that happened, as well as this is a great opportunity for me to fill dead air because if any good podcasting 101 will tell you is don't have dead air, right? <laughs> All right, so Sladies um, started off as a way to get more women into the gaming community of Atlanta. Um, so I, so some history about how this came to be. Um, you've had Nikki on before. Nikki is my other half. She's my other brain cell. She is the, other re- the only other reason this is happening. This happened. She started an event called Sladies. It was a, a, a one week. There were a couple. There was a brunch. There were some um, women-run games, and there was a bar crawl, all for women by women to support women in the community. And so I met Nikki right before this happened and fell in love with D&D. She's, she's the reason I play D&D. She's the reason I got into more TTRPGs. Um, and we met and decided we wanted to bring more women and make 2020 Sladies event even bigger, better, badder ass um, than COVID. And COVID kind of ruined a lot of things. Like we had a campaign plan for the bar crawl. We had all this stuff planned, all these things we were working on, and we didn't want them to go to waste. Um, we were really lucky and had Amanda, who was originally part of our Sladies lineup for the bar crawl, decide that, yeah, she wanted to be to help also make this. And we decided to make it a stream. And then we decided to make it a channel and we decided to make it more things until we came up with what we decided Sladies was. Um, and it is a streaming channel catered specifically women, genderqueer, and non-binary players and game runners. We focus on indie and... Uh, indie games and creators of color and diversity and gender and all those things. All the things that we didn't get to see. Um, I am a Korean. I am a woman. I did not get to see a lot of those things in the gaming community actually in many communities and we wanted to change that like even when i would watch twitch when i would watch other D streams it was a lot of the same people it was a lot of the same colors it was a lot of the same genders and we kind of wanted to help put a small change to that yeah that's definitely a very awesome kind of idea it's it's, it's a noble approach to take and covid withstanding now you guys keeping it going continuing it is actually really really amazing and you guys are going to do a lot more than just obviously uh just trying to promote these events i mean there's you're doing a lot of activity online anyway i mean you want to talk about any other shows and things you got coming up uh well first like we we started this ladies campaign thinking like we'll do a short campaign and see what happens season two is starting next month uh february 5th actually we got enough people to like us and support us that we have a second season coming so that's awesome we have a bunch of new games that are coming to this ladies channel um with i i can't say who yet but 
we have two really exciting games that are featuring some very diverse creators that will be starting soon. Um, I'm personally going to be in a couple new games starting. Um, and I can talk about those too if you'd like. Absolutely. Um, We'd love to hear it all. Uh, oh, also, right now I'm on a uh, D&D surprise party, which is on Chaotic Tiefling, who is a friend of ours. She is a eight, another Atlanta creator. Um, Babs the Bat. She's amazing. Uh, she put together a surprise party show with some of our friends who do actually a Shakespeare surprise reading, um, which dreams may come if you're ever bored. <laughs> actually, <laughs> you would great. love that. It's a completely random casting. You fill out the Google form, you send it away, they hit a Google spreadsheet analyzer, and they put random people in random places, and then no one knows, and then they, we read it on stream, live. Wow, that's a really kind of fun way to use technology and to it's use the creative yeah, outlet. It's so there. much fun. And it has led to some crazy costumes and some crazy on-air hijinks, and um... Some of those, me and some of those people are now on the D&D surprise party, so that's fun. But I think you should, you should, you need to fill out that Google form. I think you would be great on D&D surprise party. Or not surprise party, um, what streams may come. Definitely uh, looking that. Uh, I also have another project starting on February 1st. Um, you're the first person I'm telling about this, actually. Exclusive, like, everyone. Literally the first person who isn't on cast that I'm talking to about this. Um. Cyberpunk Red, February 1st, DM'd by James Stiver of Loot and Dagger. We're going to be starting that, and I'm really excited because I built my character, to, like, literally two hours ago, and I finished it right before this. So it's all very fresh, all your ideas and inspiration. Yeah. And, and Nice, nice, nice. That's always a good spot to be at. Uh, so yeah, one of the important of... things for me and Sladies is what we're trying to do is also, because we were Atlanta-based and started in Atlanta, we are trying to help grow the Atlanta community together. So, um, surprise party, a lot of people on the um, the cyberpunk game, Flipping the Table, who I'm also part of, we're all like Atlanta community people trying to strengthen our community. It's just hard now online, so it's, I don't really know what to say. <laughs> and, and it was not, and it wasn't necessarily super easy even before. I mean, I remember talking to Nikki about this, and I, I excuse me if uh, listeners, you've heard the other episode. I said this. I think a lot of people don't understand that to live in Atlanta means you could live thirty miles apart from another person who lives in Atlanta. So, like the idea of like a community space, even pre-COVID, what time of day, what part of town is there parking? Is there enough room? Are you going to be dealing with like annoying people with bars, music and all that stuff? Like it's so hard to coordinate that in and of itself. Oh, yeah. So like, yeah, the idea of, of, of an Atlantic community is still can be a very like sparse and desperate thing because some person's here, some person's there. So yeah, even now in the time of COVID putting that together, I mean, it, is it almost beneficial though? Because of like everything you're talking about now using the digital space to get all these projects done together and you can do it from the convenience of your home, which I mean, a lot of people are now, if they have a job, you know, knock on wood, uh, thanks to COVID, if they still have a job, they can work from home. So you don't have to go out and drive and expose yourself. That's probably one of yeah, the bigger draws. Yeah. I, I don't like leaving my house anyway. So for me, it's been kind of a benefit. Um, yeah. Because, like, because we haven't had to go out, um, or sorry, not because, because we don't have to only draw from the 10 people who can drive to a location, we've been able to open up, like, the Sladies now have members from New York, whereas before we only had members from within a three-mile radius. We've been able to talk with other streams and partner with other projects. We were able to... One of the big things about Sladies, the in-person event, was it was a fundraising event. It was for Girls Who Code, and it was to make money for the charity. Um, and that was the thing that we were really worried about, like, how could we keep that going? And for our Sladies launch, we were able to raise over $4,000 because also we were able to reach out to friends that we were not able to reach out to normally. We were able to call people like, oh, you don't have to come to location. We're just going to do a stream on air for charity three hours of your time from your living room and because of that you're we and i know other streams have been able to get people and help that we would not have been able to get without or before this 
And yeah, that's that's awesome that that the, the, from a kind of frustrating situation, a harrowing situation, there's some positivity that's come of that. I mean, you, it sounds like you've got yourself doing so much RPG stuff right now. Do you, do you ever start to feel a little bit of fatigue? I mean, I, I know GM DM fatigue has been a, a topic only a few kind of t- content creators have talked about recently, but it's something I, I I've been noticing with now everybody and their mother seeming to wanted to play a game. Does there ever a party start to be, like lose that spark or that uh, I- that initiative? Oh, for sure. When COVID started and everything started going, I about two months after COVID started, I was really feeling that need for like human interaction. I need to talk to people. I was in a game every day. Wow, really? Yeah, I, I because I I have so many friends, not just streaming friends, but just in life friends who are amazing, like great people to play games with and i just every time they said hey do you want to play this game i'm like of course i do i love you guys but yeah after about a month of that i could not do that uh there was a really bad character burnout i couldn't think of create characters like anytime i had to think of something new i couldn't do it i couldn't work on my campaign that i was writing and my stuff i was writing anymore it was just i shut down I was only able, then I switched down to like two games and I was fine. But seven games a week was not healthy for me personally. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, I know, and we have friends of the show who are professional DMs and GMs and they tell me about, you know, running five to eight sessions a week and just the amount of prep, the amount of pre and post, like, you know, obviously picking up the energy to get ready to do your session and the energy of the come down off the session. I'm like, that's a full-time job. And and even being a player in seven sessions is still committing, you know, you assume two to three hours per session, 15 to 20 hours of your life. And that's yeah. really, really big. And I, I can imagine even something so fun as, you know, RPG, so fun as D&D or whatever it is, your system of choice, turning into a slog or almost losing the shine because of that. So it's very, it's very, very wise of you to recognize that that was happening to yourself and, and stop it before it got too bad. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people have had the chance to have a character burnout and play that many games, nor did I ever think I would ever be burned out from playing TTRPGs, but it definitely becomes a chore after a while if you're in too many things. And if you're GMing too, like, uh, you know, yeah. we, 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 we <laughs> I think the joke is if you're, if you're a good de- or decent GM, like you'll never be want of players because there's always somebody looking for a, a game master or a dungeon master to, to run the game. It's, it's, it, it becomes then the onus on you to understand like, and, and this is also what I think is weirdly uh, also indicative of all the dungeon masters and GMs I've talked to that I've had on the show and, and in real life is we might be all very different personality types, but we also all understand like the responsibility that we have to those people that are our players because, oh, yeah. you know, we can miss one person or two people in a session, probably get away with it. But when you're not there, the game doesn't happen. So you immediately yeah. you feel this weight on your shoulders. And then if it's like your friends, like you mentioned, the wanting to stay in contact with your friends through these uh, dire kind of situations, that is uh, the COVID. Of course, you don't want to say no to your friends. Of course, you don't want to give up on the opportunity to hang out with your friends. But you know, they don't consider that maybe you have 20 people who want to play with you. Well, that's freaking five, four different games you got to do every single week or bi-weekly. I mean, I had a very similar situation to where my weekly, my monthly games turned into bi-weekly games, my, uh, <laughs> which means every two weeks. And then my weekly games turned into two, twice a week games. And then I realized like I, I was actually at the point where same thing. I was like, I think I'm starting to get a burnout on the very thing I like. Let's just dial this back a little for my sake. Yeah. And now I have it set up in my games that all of my games are different systems, which makes it uh, it makes it different. I was at one point playing three different D&D games, and in two of those games, I was playing two different wizards, and I'm like, I don't know which magical, angry person I am today. <laughs> <laughs> A little character bleed over, I see. Oh, yeah. So... With all these shows and all these genres, I mean, you've you've had your hands and everything. What do you have a preference, or do, are you somebody who's just it's all about the story, regardless of setting or system? I like being part of good stories, and I like telling good stories. And I think the systems I choose to play in, especially on stream, I choose because there are systems that I believe would work for that story in that setting. I don't anymore just agree to play any game um 
especially if it is going to be a campaign. I, I like to know the setting and the story and how it's going to interact and how everything's going to work. And I've just found certain systems like D&D. Um, and I'm about to use the, star, the, the cyberpunk system are really good storytelling systems. Especially D&D for an online thing, because I think it's it's really good at having a definitive line between combat and roleplay. And how to show that off. As opposed to, like, maybe heavier and more numbers-intensive systems, modifier-based stuff? So, per, in, in real life, in real life, I love Pathfinder. That is my game. Pathfinder 2E. I do not stream Pathfinder 2E. I've streamed one one-shot of Pathfinder 2E with a bunch of people who did not know how to play it, and it was a wonderful game. And I love them, and if you're listening to this and you were in that game, you were awesome. It is not an easy game to jump into because of the modifiers and the rules and um, like multiple attack penalties and things like that. I've seen other streams do it really well. I just am not that kind of DM. Which is also why I don't DM campaigns on stream, because I only DM one-shots. <laughs> Yeah, so so you're actually conscientious of how you whatever you're playing is going to be on stream. So that that's very interesting. Is that is now in the past, let's say two to five years, been a well maybe three more so than than, than that because I think there was obviously acquisition sync, there was critical role, there was the you know the mammoth shows, but now since it's it, it seems like more systems and more people and more diverse games are being played, you're seeing people start to suss out what systems work and what systems don't, and what approaches work and what don't, and then. Uh, even the structures of games have now changed because you're trying to incorporate, well, what what if chat gets involved? What if they donate or give us bits or how can oh, they yeah. give inspiration or give, you know, uh, healing droughts or whatever, something to involve the game. Like some channels uh, in particular, not to not to turn this into a bunch of uh, promotion, but like I love the stuff Hyper RPG has been doing with all their various different systems oh, yeah. and the way they involve their bits and the way they are, their subscribers changing the game on the fly and, and getting involved there. So I think it's very interesting that now you're now because you're making so much content, you have to be conscientious of not just what you want to play yourself, but what works. Yeah. So one of our big discussions when we started Sladies is was chat going to be involved? Was was donations going to be involved, especially because we started on a charity event? Like, were we going to mm -hmm. take donations to change the game? What, were we going to make that an OK rule? Were, did we want to do something about that? And we came to the decision nikki and i that no the campaign is the campaign and we wanted to keep it kind of separate from the chat from the donations from the the interaction from outside influence mm -hmm. not because we didn't like the outside influence i love whenever i run a one shot for charity i always put in something you can donate a dollar and i'll kill a character um okay that's not really the dollar amount but you know what i mean i think it's fun but for a campaign i think it's it's very hard, especially for a smaller group when you have only two people running all the audio, running all the equipment, running the mod, running the stream labs. But it is really cool. <laughs> and on top of that, hopefully when we are able to get out there, like another form that's now starting to pick up, and I'm pretty sure we'll come back once everything's okay with the coronavirus is live play audience, like in person attending games. Cause we've both of us, I'm sure have been to conventions now to where it's now becoming a norm that you'll yeah. see RPG games being played on stage or, you know, with the characters standing in costume doing things. Mark Muir does this fantastic, uh, same type of panel for uh, various conventions I've seen him do in the Atlanta area and sometimes abroad. And I can't imagine not wanting to pursue maybe some sort of audience interaction there because, I mean, they're right there. They're standing near you. Why would you not get them off? So we have talked about when cons come back about doing something like that, doing panels. We have some amazing friends who are part of Dragon Con and part of, Me not Mega Con, that's Orlando, um, other Atlanta cons. Uh, AWA? MomoCon? Yeah, AWA, AWA and MomoCon yeah. about like doing panels at pre-COVID, we were actually supposed to be doing a panel at MomoCon. But now that the world is this way, we've gonna, of course, have to see what happens. But we do really, really, really want to, like, 
bring the whole group together with everyone, like with our family. Sladies isn't that big. I, I, I'm not saying like we're going to have a panel and 50 people are going to show up, but we do and have been very lucky to get a group of people like who are fans, who we love and who love us and who are like family to us now. Um, we put one, one girl, we put in charge of our chat moderation because she's just so sweet and I love her. But that, that's what we want. We don't care so much about the performing for people, especially in a live environment with them. We would rather be with our people, with our friends, and being able to celebrate our nerdiness together. Yeah, and then it's born of a in costume. event. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's always fun, right? Who doesn't love dressing up as their crazy goblin shaman or whatever it is you happen to be playing? Right? I, I have right next to me right now. You can't see it because this is audio, but you can because you're talking to me on a camera. Like five pieces of costume for my new cyberpunk character that showed up today. And so. yes, there are goggles, naturally. <laughs> Glad you were able to tell them that. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I mean, guys, it's cyberpunk. It's like, it's either cyberpunk or steampunk. If there's going to be, be one of those two genres, there's going to be goggles. There's going to be True. glasses, something or another going on. <laughs> so uh, this is something that, you know, you did bring up and I brought up a little bit earlier when we we're talking about ladies and stuff like that. And I want to talk about kind of the changing tides in regards to representation in the RPG sphere. Uh, I've had multiple uh, creators on this podcast recently talking about anything from racism to gender and, and, and things like involved and stuff like that. And you did bring up earlier being a female, being Korean. How do you view the current kind of state of the RPG sphere? What everything you know was standing with COVID. Now that we're not in person, but you're seeing now the voices and hearing the voices online. People bringing up complaints and the issues that they've had with you know systemic racism or depictions of certain races, trans kind of transferring racial stereotypes onto fantasy races and things like that, or gender pronouns, or even just attributing certain abilities to certain races, feeling like that's out of place in the 21st century. I, I mean, it's, it's still a huge problem. We are seeing better representation. We are seeing more people um, in the community of color and of gender creating awesome content who are being hired by these major developers and publishers. The problem is, is a lot of the, the, the issue is still so deeply rooted in these companies and in these higher ups that we're still seeing these issues come out. I am very appreciative, though, of new content coming out where I love the Tasha's cauldron, that you can now change things for different races. You, you, you lose the negative abilities for some of them because for building a story makes sense not every kobold comes from the exact same kobold community with the exact same kobold stats to start off with so why do i have to use those like not every person's starting off with the exact same human stats at birth or the same mm. benefits or weaknesses so being able to change those based on your character backstory i think makes way more sense than basing it just on race Yeah, and and you know that's one of the, one of the big uh, topics that is brought up, and I think, like you mentioned, Tasha's uh, being a wizard's product is I I think the first attempt, the first step at addressing some of these things. Um, it is a it's very actually small first step, but it is a first step. Yeah, and it's actually very interesting having had you know the uh, ancestries and culture. Uh, creators having been previously on the show, seeing they kind of jumped on the gun before wizards ever did. Uh, it kind of took them getting a lot of uh, acclaim on the internet and getting obviously a lot of followers and purchasers of the content for it yeah. to feel like it became a thing. Uh, so I, I, th it, I think it's, it, go ahead. Yes, please. It was a big, yes, the publishers, thank God finally published this, but it, it's not the published. You're right. It's not the publisher who created this. It is these independent creators, the small time creators who are pushing and hustling and showing their work off on Twitter and DMG guild who are, who are making these changes happen. Uh, the, Half the community, not community, the industry professionals still, not professionals, what's the word, companies mm -hmm. are not paying attention to the backlash that some of their new projects or special things have been doing and does not help the situation. Right. And we're talking also about a a very rapidly changing, I mean, demographic, just even with the RPG Renaissance, which we can say starts, let's push it eight to ten years ago. 
it was still very much a white middle-aged guy sort of feel which now in a decade or less has now seen a complete shift because of just the crazy amount of numbers uh you know twitch uh obviously live streams are, are pulling the dnd uh is pulling i mean all the apps and all the various interfaces are now like having their best years ever i mean last time i, I remember reading something about the hasbro uh, situation in stock like dnd has been selling year over year more and more than it's ever done before so to oh, yeah. see somebody who is accustomed to their fan base being very, uh, you know, pocket-sized and, and manageable explode and all of a sudden explode with a whole new plethora of fans who are very different than the norm, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's, 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 that's a lot of, of turnaround for them. And, and I, don't, I don't think they recognize how quickly that things have changed uh, just in such a short amount of time. I think that can be said about a lot of middle-aged, older white men that they don't realize how much this well, world has I mean, changed around them. And I, I mean, I'm a white-looking middle-aged guy, so I can agree there. I, I, I back in my day, we didn't have TikToks. Like, I, 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 joke, okay, I'm but... still trying to figure out TikTok. I downloaded it once for a friend, and I watched their video. I'm like, oh, this is very. I was like the old lady. I just did my glass. This is cute. I don't. I don't get it. Uninstall. <laughs> yeah, but but that's that that's kind of like I, f- I feel like the weird cycle of, of life, right? So eventually, you will become the older person. It's that Simpsons meme of like, am, am I wrong or are the children wrong? <laughs> like, you you find yourself eventually going to have to sit down and be like, I don't think I understand. I don't think I'm in tune with the younger generation. I think I have to learn a little bit. I, I think I have to step outside of my my boundaries here, my my uh, comfort zone. I think that's an important thing for anyone to do, especially anyone who talks or is interacting with anyone in the public is to try to step outside your comfort zone and ex- understand the world from an outside perspective. Yeah. And and I think it also, especially like now going from the macro to the micro real quick, when you bring anybody to your table, uh, one of my, my good friends and other, other uh, guests, Jeff said this great thing. I asked him the question about like, if, if, can you play D and D with people who aren't your friends? And his answer is, of course, yes, because you can play, you know, at Adventures League and go out and open and stuff like that. And I go, well, specifically, like if they come to your table. And he goes, well, if they're coming into my house, I have to like them and they have to be my friend to even get into my house. And I, I, the reason I and the reason I bring this up is there's a, an amount of trust and responsibility that comes to not just the game master, but it's it's more so on the game master usually. To I'm bringing these people into my world, my story, my homebrew, my whatever. And I need to be conscious of my own biases. I need to be conscious of what they're looking for and what they're not looking for, what they're comfortable and not comfortable with. And if if I'm going to present them with something, regardless of whether it's, oh, well, you know, it's what it used to be back in the 50s, 60s. That's the way we're just going to do it, you know, or the 70s or this edition, that edition. Regardless of whether it's something that's established, by choosing to bring it forth, you are still sending a message. You are still telling them like, hey, I think we should play games like this or we should run it like this. And if somebody makes a point at your table, obviously it's very immediate, your reaction, and they go, I don't like this. Can, can we change that? Or I don't feel comfortable with that. You, I think you have to you have to make, make a change there if they are not comfortable with it because you're still represented. You're, 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 the actions you take, the the... the Positions you present, and I, and the reason I say this is because, and I'll turn into a little tangent, is I had it with somebody one time say like they didn't like the depiction of race in one of my games, and I had to take a step back and go, okay, I can see why you could have that perspective because I noticed that I gave like a particular accent to a particular race of, of people, and that particular accent was like a comedic accent, but I'm like I am also turning them into a comedy bit, and I'm like, is that what I'm trying to sell? Is that what I'm trying to to to, to say about? Oh well, yeah, you can just summarize these people as one thing and i was like all right i was wrong i was completely in the wrong there because if i continue doing that and told them to suck it up i would be sending the message that i don't care about these things so we as 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 players now you know while we don't have control of, over what big corporation can do aside from obviously pushing them on social media by not by not buying their products and supporting creators that we do support also can continue and start that at our own tables where what we say in the type of worlds we like to create and stories we like to tell one of the important things that I have um, with my friends in, in both my home tables and online and even in my one shots. We go over safety tools. We talk with each other. We, we, we kind of go into like things that could be brought up, especially any topic that could have any kind of like any, even violence, like there, there could be gore, there could be bugs, things of that nature. Anything that could be a trigger for anyone, we go over. There's um, a really amazing lines and veils tool that we usually go through. Even in my home game, I have a group of people that we have been playing together for over a year. 
we have been in two short-term campaigns together, same group of people, turn around, start another one, and before we start the next game, we sit down with each other and talk about our characters and like, are we okay with this? Are you okay with this? Is this going to be cool with everyone? To make sure that we're creating a world together and, and not trying to block someone off, not trying to make anyone feel left out or attacked, not attacked. I can't think of the word. Uh, frustrated or um, insulted or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I guess. Just to make sure everyone feels safe and comfortable with the characters in the world that we're creating. Mm-hmm. And I think that is very, very important. And it's become way more popular now that we're playing games online. I remember when we first started trying to do them in in the place that shall not be named. The place where Nikki and I met. The old... Ah fallen apart community it was really hard to get lines and veils introduced and it was hard to get people to understand this like in a big like you're talking to 20 people you're like okay if you don't feel comfortable do this like x is no veil but online with all the, the printouts and the handouts that we can give and the literature that we can read and we can actually talk and go over things there are really great things i think it was roll 20 had a, a lines and veil add-on where you can click on something if you're uncomfortable it's made the gaming world i think feel way more safe and easier to bring in new people that you would not know that you would not bring into your home to play but now i might bring them in my home because now i know them (laughs) now i've played with them and now i love them and i want them in my home the the hope is that at, at the end of this all, we can all come together safe and then have a whole bunch of new friends and have a whole bunch of great experiences. And I'm sure the parties will be absolutely fantastic once we get uh, out. There is over. an Atlanta party for being planned already. You are invited. Don't worry. Oh, I, 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 was, I didn't even know it existed, so I wasn't I'm worried. But now that now I know not to be worried if, if, if I don't get the invite. But no. What, 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 <laughs> what I was going to – kind of going back on the topic though, I think this is interesting because you, you, we talk about this. Well, when you then decide to bring your game online, and maybe this is why you don't choose to play campaigns or stuff like that, like, is it a conscious decision also not to have like chat involved or to get other people's input because you then open up the potential for, you know, like a powder keg for them to do something that instigates or creates a problem or creates an issue and, and, and steals that creative control and that safety you might have for your players? So I've never thought about it that way, but yes, that is a good reason. Um, my reason I'm not allowed to read chat anymore is I get too distracted. And I I have been known to like see the chat. I'm like, oh, that's way better than what I was planning to do. And I think it actually it can interfere with players. And I'm not saying that it's a bad way or a good way, but I'll see something. I'm like, oh, I didn't do that. I should do that instead. But then I think I start, I personally start overthinking everything and I'm like, no, this is my game. Like, I I love the chat and I love my friends and I want them to be part of this, but I also need to know that there is a line there. That makes any sense. No, I I have a very similar idea and I have also like, for me is, is I think there's something to be said about the magic of, uh, being truly feeling free and safe in like the basement or the living room or whatever your your party games at right and and i think as soon as there's an eye on that and, I, and not mm-hmm. even like a twitch chat or a youtube chat or a roll 20 chat I, I mean i've had people i've invited over to come watch us play and while i i think the game has still been the same game we had before i think there was also a, a like a small in the back of my mind thing about me at least for me, I don't know about for the other players, about, well, there is somebody here watching us. And that sort of thing to me, I don't know, I don't know if this sounds a little too hipstery or auteury or artistic or something like, but I do feel it takes a little of the magic away. I think you start playing to the crowd immediately. And I can say this because- I definitely do. Yeah. And and, and I'll say this because I love the people. I've met them. They're really, really nice. But like, uh, Critical Role is very much a show that is also that. They 100% know that they have a crowd. They 100% know the type of game they want to play. And they have all the studios and lights to to complement that. So I love that game. But then whenever anybody asks me, like, what's a good example of, of D&D? I'm like, if you want to watch that, I think that's a great theatrical example of D&D. But also understand these are actors who mm-hmm. are being watched by millions. So they know what they're doing. 
This is not I, what's going to happen when you have pizzas and, and <laughs> chips with your friends who are, you know, programmers, waitress, barista, or whatever. Like, that's a different sort of experience. Oh, yeah. Not I any less, though. I am definitely a different gamer on stream than I am at home. <laughs> and not even, like, good or for bad. At, at home, I'm way more like, I'm going to research this rule for 20 minutes. On stream, I'm like, I don't know this rule, so we're just going to keep going. <laughs> Because no one wants me to, no one wants to watch me read a book for thirty minutes. Yeah, and you and you know, like that, uh, you have to keep a certain t tempo up, a certain momentum, and things like that. Whereas when you're with your friends, I mean, God, I've probably lost, you know, sometimes twenty five to thirty minutes because something's been funny or a tangent happened or an argument happened because somebody made a reference, and I go, "Are you sure that's the reference you think it was?" And then we're like, "No, it, it wasn't." And I looked it up, and then we started talking. Oh yeah, that actually I was wrong, and and then a whole thing happens, and then we finally decide like, oh, "Okay, that's funny." Well, okay, back to the game. Nobody wants yeah. to watch that content. Yeah, no, I like I do stupid stuff at the table. Like one of my friends hates it. If if we order food and there's sauce packets, I'll start switching out. I'll start putting the sauce packets on the board for the minis. Just, just <laughs> I don't know why. It's just because I'm putting a mini. I put a sauce that's, packet there. That's I would super never do useful. that on stream. <laughs> that is but actually really super brilliant I spend and useful. So much time trying to figure out how to get that sauce packet on the board. So I I, I, ran, I ran I ran a uh, flavored tin like you know jokey guy you know Knights of Fury game awesome. where it's you know fast food and you know restaurants references and, and stuff galore and I'm like I never thought of but next time I think for my props I should get like a like Tabasco sauce and like sauce packets yeah. and then like salt and pepper shakers like I think I should turn the ter the terrain into actual like condiments and things like that that would be it's really brilliant. I'm just going to turn into, like, Blue's Blue's house <laughs> with all the things that are just walking around. No, no, no. Don't use that ketchup. That's my prop ketchup. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> and that's actually, funny enough, it's actually the only uh, miniatures and, and terrain I had for the very first time I ever jammed was it was like an impromptu thing. And there's just some wine bottles and glasses and and. and coke cans and i was just like uh sure there's pillars and walls and you guys play around that i think i use yeah that's what i did i used the only uh guitar pick i had in my pocket because i'm a musician i always have guitar picks on me i used uh, the guitar pick i had in my pocket and like the top of a of a beer bottle and i'm like all right those are your two characters these are towers and pillars <laughs> let's go that's amazing yeah i mean you gotta you gotta make it work with whatever you have but i yeah, yeah totally we have used everything around us i've played in bars where we're using like coasters or ripped up bits of napkins use popcorn i don't know like stupid stuff gummy bears there's been a lot of gummy bears on the board that's true those gummy bears get eaten pretty quickly though. i'm not gonna lie one, not one of my favorites bring a three pound bag of gummy bears jeez okay well yeah then you then then there's more than enough for the, the game i'm sure with a three pound bag so that, yeah, that's also me i love the game snacks if you ever watch me stream i had i had to cut it down because i was always snacking but like at, mm -hmm. even at home games, I'm like, I bring brownies, I bring chips, I bring all kinds of stuff because it's part of the fun of it. Like you're just chilling with your friends, drinking beer and eating chips and rolling dice and pretending to be a raccoon wizard. A raccoon wizard. I've never done that before, but I, I'm definitely interested. Uh, humble I one. I have a humble oh, one yes. game coming up, actually. And I play a, actually I play a, a, a raccoon barbarian for that one. Nice. I took a, I took a I took the Pugmire idea and threw it into my world. Okay. So like, uh, Pugmire is the uh, dogs. Uh, yeah, uh, I love it. Expansion. Oh yeah. For those who don't know, and uh, I, I became a mainstay of one of my kingdoms that there's the, the 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 loyal guard is all dogs. Why would you not have the loyal guard be dogs? And they're samurai dogs. So like, one of the Amazing. members is is a, a corgi samurai named Rover, who's the bestest boy, but will protect the emperor with his life. So it's it's I love it's him. high. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So and and also because then like in combat, I'd be like, he draws his katana, and when I say his katana, I mean this tiny little thing that only a corgi could have, but it still does full damage because naturally, why not, right? It's fantasy, of course. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 very adorable. Yeah, I I, I love that type of idea, raccoon trash panda wizards I'm, I'm about that i'm about that <laughs> so in pathfinder you can actually play like a bear like a legitimate like uplifted smart bear people and they have a bunch of different like weird animals you can play and it makes me so happy i played um we've had a pathfinder game and i played a shuni which is a pug i played an evil pug paladin 
So he supported an evil god and just beat up everything and ate everything. He actually died by eating the bad guy, but he killed the bad guy. <laughs> he got wow. the last bite, and that's all that matters. That is, that is, that is, I think, a beautiful way to, to end the character story, though. Like, to die as you live, it's exactly the way to go. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. I mean, so with all the stuff you have going on, with all the things you've done in the RPG sphere, I know it's we're looking long term. I know we're looking at, you know, this gray, murky future that is to come. But what are your ultimate end goals to do with your content here? My end goals, what I really want to happen, and the reason we've been doing this and I've started doing this, is to create a safer and better space for female gamers. It started off with just wanting to do it for Atlanta. Now that we're in this weird space, we have reached out to other women all across the country and different in different countries. Because that's all I want. I want great games for great women and non-gender conforming and anyone who never had a place to play a game or ever felt in a weird place to play a game have a safe, comfortable place to play. Hopefully long term, in this year after the vex, everyone gets vaccinated like they should. Um... We could play at Dragon Con and have a nice community that way. But until then, just something for us online. And I think it's an altruistic uh, approach that anybody would love. So, April, we're coming to the end of our time. If there's any way people would like to contact you or get into touch with you, what are the best means? If you want to follow me or see more of the things I'm doing, you can follow me at April Raygun on Twitter and Instagram. That I never use the Instagram though, so Twitter's probably better. You could also follow us on Sladies ATL on Twitter. That is where we do most of our work and where you're going to see a bunch of our fundraising things coming up. We're going to have a couple fundraisers coming up in the next couple months for some great charities that I'm super excited for. So follow that one for sure. Yeah. And if you'd want to check all those links, I will put all of them below in the podcast description. If you want to follow me, my personal Twitter is classy underscore Don. That's D-O-N. This is my RPG podcast, which can be found on all sources of podcasts, which is, you know, the iTunes or sorry, Apple podcasts, as they call them, Podbean, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, and all that other stuff out there. If you have any questions, want to uh, get on the show or give me a review or any heads up, the Gmail is myrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table.